COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadjo Karamantang. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our live cast talking with Dr. Adrian Matheson, child psychologist. This is one of our solving wellness initiatives. So this month is a free month. So we've been trying to really illustrate some of the benefits of being able to dive into this wellness program, including getting a chance to speak to some of the world's renowned experts in different fields, including child psychology. (laughs) (laughs) So um, if you want to sign up free month, just type SW in the chat box for those that are on, on Facebook, you get a chance to sign up $99 for the year or $9 and 99 cents per month. Once again, uh, first month is for free. And you know, this is our attempt to change that boogie, change that boogie. So without further ado, I got Dr. Adrian Matheson, who has made several appearances on our live cast, quad cast, solving healthcare, and now solving wellness. Mm-hmm. And so we, we saw a need. We saw a need to talk about what's going on with their kids and seeing what we, if there's anything we could do about it. So first of all, Adrian, thanks for joining. Thank you for inviting me. I do wish that we didn't have to continue to have these conversations. As I was, yeah, no kidding. As I was preparing this, I thought, I really wish that we were not still talking about this, but here we are. Yeah, here we are, unfortunately. Yeah. And um, maybe I'll just leave it quite open. Like, what are you seeing of late? This is our third wave. This has been our, I don't know how many shutdowns in terms of school closures, but what what are you seeing clinically? Okay. So, uh, because you know me well now, Quadro, I, I, do, I do have a presentation prepared, <laughs> um, but I'm going to keep it really casual. My, my, uh, <laughs> I, see, I see comments teasing me. Okay. Uh, so I've broken it down into uh, different age groups um, because it depends on who we're talking about. And I've also asked my team um, the things that they have been seeing and noting. Uh, So I do think it's really important to review some of the trends that we've seen now, what, 14 months um, later. Mm -hmm. And a lot has not changed and some has changed. So who I am, I would say, most concerned about are our tween adolescent population. I kind of characterize it as 12 and up, we are seeing a significant increase in referrals for children and youth in this age group. And we'll talk about what we're, what we're supporting with them, you know, what we're doing to support these kids. But the main referral questions for kids that age are lack of motivation. Um, Just, I just can't get energized to do schoolwork, forget about it, but also even socialize because socializing is not the same. It's over Zoom and they're on Zoom all day and it's just not interesting uh, for them. So we're seeing a huge increase in referrals for kids just lacking motivation to do anything really. Um, I just was in supervision with with one of my lovely clinicians um, and she really pointed out in her caseload this um, notion of hopelessness that our youth are feeling that this is just the way things are now. So what's the point of trying to get a job or do well in school or make new friends? 
um, or anything really, because they just don't believe that there's going to be an end to this and that this is the new normal. So we're seeing lots of that. I've spoken to you uh, before about increases in depressive symptoms, and this includes um, suicidal ideation, I'd say to a sort, sort of a mild to moderate degree. We have seen increases in rates of suicide um, at, a, at a more macro level, but here in the clinic, uh, we are, you know, we're just doing a whole bunch more risk assessments um, in our days where we wouldn't typically be needing to do that. Lots of low mood, lots of depressive symptoms, not as much anxiety as I would have expected, because often we, we would assume that along with depressive symptoms comes anxiety symptoms, kind of those internalizing features. We're not seeing a ton of anxiety. I think probably because some of the school pressures of having to be at school and particularly social anxiety has um, been removed because they're not doing any of that. So not a ton of anxiety as compared to what we would have seen previously. Uh, lots of reports of loneliness, of course. And then these ones I left to the end, although they're absolutely probably number one on our list, but I've spoken to you about them so many times. I'm like a broken record, but sleep. Sleep, sleep, sleep um, are like the number of referrals that we have from parents of their children just not going to sleep, not being able to sleep, staying up really late, um, you know, just consulting on a case of um, a youth that's now the new pattern is falling asleep in the morning and just sleeping all day and then being up all night. Um, and then, of course, screen use. Screen use is an ongoing issue, always has been, but has become even more so um, recently, how do we navigate this downtime, which may have been on screens for say Netflix or social media when they're on screens all day uh, for school. So that's sort of in the older uh, group uh, that we see. In terms of the younger children, it's a little bit different. I'm also very worried about these kids, um, but I'm hopeful that because of their age, there's a bit more resiliency um, for repairing some of the costs, uh, developmental costs that have happened over the last 14 years, uh, 14 years, 14 months for these kids. It feels like years. Mm. We are seeing a significant spike in um, referrals for learning difficulties. So lots of parents noting to us that they're worried their kid can't read. Uh, they can't focus. They're worried about how they're performing academically. And we have lots of speculation as to why that's the case, um, which we, we don't have to go into. Lots of referrals around attentional challenges. Definitely an increase in reported academic difficulties. Grades are dropping uh, for these young kids. They're just not able to get the content um, virtually as they would in, in the class. Anecdotally, I would say we're noting more externalizing difficulties for our young kids, like lots of ADHD referrals, oppositionality, aggression, sibling uh, rivalry, lots of um, sibling relationship issues that we're noting in the home. And then also sleep and screen time, which is just such an issue. Uh, it's, it's, it's really just, it's such an issue um, for us here in the clinic and for families. Are any of those surprising to you or is that what you would have expected that I was going to say? The only, I mean, the only thing I would say was surprising is the anxiety piece not being a, a player. Uh, well, I guess, I mean, what you're saying makes sense in terms of the demographic of, you know, the tweens, as we call it, tweens? Well, I said tweens. I wasn't sure if that's, uh, yeah, I said pre-teen. I think that has been surprising to me all along uh, because early on, I, I mentioned this to you when we very first met when the world shut down um, a year ago, I was expecting kids to really get anxious, particularly my anxious kids that I see here. I, I you know, I have a kid I see that I think of often who, who's a fear is a virus. And then all of a sudden it's like game time. This is not a drill. There's a virus. And um, they were cool, calm, collected about it because the world, the hypervigilance of the world had increased to where they naturally sit. That's their baseline for hypervigilance and anxiety. So that's my original hypothesis around it. I think now, though, as you say, it's just that there's this removal of a lot of the triggers that kids would tend to feel. Yeah, that would lead to anxiety symptoms. That they just don't they don't have anymore. So hopelessness, loneliness, lack of 
I mean, they're not interacting with their peers. They're just losing hope in this, you know, generally speaking, of course, just losing hope in this changing that they get to go to parties and grad and class and go to school and flirt. And yeah. yeah, all those kinds of things that are so important for our teenagers. I'm, I'm just going to go off on a little bit of a rant here because this has been driving me nuts and then we'll make it about more about you. But the, the hopelessness, I think we failed not only our kids, but we failed our people with the lack of hope, the lack of focus on what people can do, the empowerment. I'm saying like what what the other side looks like. You know, why are we not, why haven't we been focusing on the measures that we're doing and why it matters and where it will lead to? Where's that conversation? And still, instead, it's like, you know, two more weeks, just bear down, just bear down. We're not going to tell you what our new life looks like or what have you. But let me tell you, this is not, this is not what leaders do. Our leaders need to be proactive and saying, hey, this is where this is going to lead you know, to that, to that day where you get to go hang out with your friends, where you get to play hockey again, where you get to flirt with your, your, you know, your classmates, we, we need to create that hope collectively. Because mm-hmm. like without hope, what do we have right now? Mm-hmm. But, but sorry, I just hearing the, hearing the, that it's permeating to our kids, you know, and maybe that's not something because my kids are a bit younger that I'm not really thinking about, but no, I'm okay. So, so I'm going to keep going with the hopelessness part. And then I promise we'll get to solutions focused because that was in in preparation and thinking of this conversation. I thought I, I really don't want to just highlight what's happening. And I will say what's happening is real. So when we spoke last year, I probably had five people on my team. I now have 14, 15 people on my team and we're completely jammed. So you hear that, people? So it's a huge, 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 huge problem, and we're seeing an increase absolutely in the difficulties that our youth are facing. So I don't want to minimize that. I just, I, I also want to focus. I want to spend our time focusing on solving healthcare. Yeah, yeah, nice, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah so. But before I do that. I, I do want to share with you. So uh, my colleague and friend, Dr. Karina Franku, is a. I think she was actually maybe going to tune in tonight. Uh, is a pediatrician in the community. And I reached out to her to say, you know, I'm, I'm speaking about what we're seeing in mental health. Can you please talk to me about what, what trends you're seeing in physical health? And my, I, I was so um, blown away by this. So I have some of her points here. Um, the first uh, point that she makes is that obesity rates, her word, are skyrocketing among youth to the point where she's giving examples of many of her patients having gained up to 10 kilograms, children having gained up to 10 kilograms in the last year because of the sedentary lifestyle, lack of extracurricular activities, inability to go to, you know, the skate park um, or do any, anything. And people get like, I get text messages about simple things. Like I'll never forget this buddy took his kid to a park, forgot to wear a mask. And now they're super anxious because he forgot to to bring a mask to a park. And they're worried about the variants. And we set this amount of fear, not only the rules that have limited the kids activity, but people are afraid. They're afraid that if they go outside and walk by somebody while they're running, that they can contract COVID, which is, which is you, you essentially can't. Okay. But this is what I'm saying. Like all these, these barriers to, to staying active and, and, and to, to, and to be engaged is, is, is so perversive. I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm a bit testy today. I know. Sorry. And I'm, I'm going to get you on these ones. When I read these, I thought, Oh, Quadro is not going to like this. She also provided uh, examples of an increase in diagnoses of hypertension in requiring medication as I'm going into not my field here. So I'm quoting uh, medication due to complications with with obesity. Um, Mm -hmm. And so children as young as nine years old, uh, she is now seeing are coming in um, requiring medication for hypertension. So just, uh, you know, a point there that just blew me away. And then um, also uh, developmental delays. So as I've shared with you before, my background is actually zero to five. I worked like all my, my academic and early clinical work was zero to five, really little um, kids. And so I found this staggering 
But what she's also seeing clinically uh, at her pediatric clinic in the community is uh, developmental delays, significant increase in developmental delays, language delays, motor delays, um, because these toddlers are not able to socialize um, and, and play and, and learn and grow, which is developmentally essential um, to their typical growth. And so we're seeing an increase in these kinds of delays very, very early on. So, you know, I'm a psychologist and all of these kids now that, you know, from the, the medical side that my colleagues are sharing with me, I will absolutely be seeing these kids at some point in my clinic for all of the secondary consequences that roll out of that. So I, I, I found that just um, staggering. And then she's also seeing the same trends that I just shared with you around mental health referrals, you know, more mental health referrals uh, to their pediatric clinics. Um, interestingly, and I know you are very passionate about this project and doing really cool things with bridges over barriers with this, but she's seeing the gap widening as we are as well for children with learning exceptionalities, vulnerable children and families. Um, that that gap is just widening, uh, widening around say academic difficulties, behavioral difficulties, um, access to services as time goes on. And I am concerned as time goes on that the, those groups of vulnerable children or children with learning or behavioral exceptionalities, we're just kind of losing a bit of time here, a lot of time actually in being able to intervene and make sure yeah. that they're okay. Okay. And then I'm going to give one more and then I'm going to move on because I see yours, I see steam uh, from your ears, but I really wanted to highlight this um, because I think we, I'm with you in the advocating and that's why I keep texting you usually late at night. Um, uh, usually in my own parenting overwhelmingness moments of, of bedtime or whatever it is, like, please, we need to do something about this. But she's also seeing in her clinic, as we are as well, to the point I've brought in an adult uh, therapist to, to provide support to our parents. She's just seeing an overwhelming increase in referrals for parents and families um, and seeking help, right? So they go to their physicians for, for that support. Um, and we're, you know, we're seeing that overwhelmingly as well. Yeah. yeah. And I think, um, once again, we'll get into solutions, but I do think all the points you have made are very important to highlight highlighting because, them. because those that were on the, any of us that are, have any, any, um, audience or uh, ability to highlight these issues. I think it's really time to sh to express our concerns. I know there's a lot of, you know, people that want to stay in their lane right now, but I will encourage you. These are our children. We're hearing that not only mentally are they being affected by this, but also developmentally. So like ability to socialize uh, their speech, you know, these are potentially generational impacts. They're physical health. If you have a nine-year-old needing to be on antihypertensives because of our approach to this pandemic, not only, sorry, not the approach is one thing, but the fact that we aren't putting in, we aren't discussing ways to mitigate that within our, 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 our restrictions. Like what are we going to do to improve uh, mental health? What are we going to do to improve physical health in our youth? There's no discussion about that. Okay, so I am just I'm just going to say this once. If you have the gumption in you to either write that letter or to, uh, you know, uh, tweet it out, whatever you feel is necessary to advocate for our kids, I will highly encourage you to do so. And I'm going to continue to do that because this is ridiculous. Okay. I have, a, I, I, yeah, in terms of advocacy, I have a petition also that uh, was recently actually uh, um, was sent to me today. Um, and I thought, well, that's perfect timing. So I'll link you guys with that and talk. I have that in my last slide. Thank you. Okay. Um, Do you want to just put up your slide? I'm joking. Do not oh, put up your slide. Oh my God. Do you want to see my <laughs> slide? That makes I would me so rather, happy to share with somebody. I, would, <laughs> I, won't, oh, I will not. Okay. So to, to focus on solutions, so that's what we're seeing. It's, it's not okay. Um, I mean, you know, uh, uh, just a personal example, even concern for my own children. For the first time in, I don't know, over a decade, I have stopped seeing 
clients. I, I'm not providing direct service to children, non-urgent, I should say. In some cases, I, I am continuing, but I, I, because of my own concern, my concerns, my own children, yeah. and making that needing to just explain to. I don't know, the hundred families or however many um, that I support in any given time that, that I, I need to seek support from my team in helping me support those families so that I can be home with my own kids because they're, they're struggling too, right? Um, we're, we are not exempt to these. And, and I, I, feel, I feel it. I feel it too. And we have resources. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Shit. Anyways. Okay. Okay. So, so, uh, back to, so in terms of what do we do? And I, I really try, I want to try to focus on solutions. I'm going to just be a, a broken record. I kept saying to my team all day, squeaky wheel. And they were reminding me that's not the right metaphor. I learned metaphors actually in my grade three English class. today. <laughs> I never know. Metaphor what, analogy. Oh, oh, oh. I, I mean, I, just, just a second. What do you mean? You don't know what metaphors were or no, just I, learning? I relearned like, it. I relearned it. I don't understand. Analogy, metaphor or analogy, which is it? Well, they're both. Somebody uh, needs to tell us. They're both. No, they're both. Like, no, they're different. Like, metaphor is kind of like an analogy, though. Somebody you know help I mean? us. Somebody but needs it, to help us. It's a metaphor. They, no, let's stop this. <laughs> it's illustration I sound of, like a broken point record, to meaning I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over and over. Beating a dead horse. Don't add to it, Tina. Don't add to it. <laughs> so... I've said these things and I'll say them again. And, and really actually I had the opportunity to speak to a network of pediatricians that have formed in Ottawa. Um, and I will speak to, about that network later on. They invited me to speak to their group and I was so for, I felt so fortunate to be able to speak to them. And we all agreed in all of our interventions, we are going back to the basics. So what can we do? routine, 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 routine. So making sure that we are up at the same time every day-ish uh, and down at the same time, even though there's nowhere to go, even though we now have an hour, extra hour or whatever because there's no commute, up at the same time, sleep, 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 sleep. I'm going to say it over and over and over. And I'm sure many of the parents here are saying, oh, sure. Yeah, that's really easy to do. It is not. Obviously, I understand that because of the increased screen use and, and the stimulation relating to that, also the lack of exercise. It's really difficult for kids to get to sleep, I'm sure for adults as well. But, it's, but it has to be a focus in the home. We can't help children that are exhausted. We, as I've mentioned to you, we have a priorities of treatment chart. If a child comes in with depressive symptoms, we will not address depressive symptoms until we have addressed sleep. So it's, it's so, so, so important. So these are things that we can do as parents to, that are tangible and, and we have control over um, in our home. So routine, sleep, it's really important. Uh, um, I'm stealing this actually from a team member of mine. Uh, it's really important to have daylight exposure in the morning, kind of get them up, even get them out. Everybody goes out quickly or just has some exposure to daylight in the morning and nearing bedtime as those are critical points in terms of circadian rhythm. We also need to engage in activities that are not on screens. And if there are teachers among us here, I know this healthcare providers, but I would really encourage teachers to also find opportunities to uh, assign learning tasks that are not on a screen, please, please, um, there, you know, pick up a book, uh, rather than have them read, uh, a text on a screen or have times where they sign off for the, their asynchronous. I know all teachers are doing this a bit differently. That's just been uh, the experience that I'm having as a support person to an online learner. There's ways that we can learn these, this information not sitting in front of a screen. So I would, I would really hope um, that we can use those other methods. But then also for extracurricular or enjoyment um, time, which, as I said at the beginning, we used to use for Netflix or social media, finally get to just chill and get on your phone and scroll to actively try to avoid those that downtime being related to screens. Um, I'm speaking out of my lane here, but when I had the opportunity to speak to the network of pediatricians in Ottawa, a pediatrician brought up some really interesting research that's showing that screen time 
there are sort of, um, I don't know how to, I don't know, I'm not, I, I don't know how to say it properly, but screen time is leading to symptoms that look like concussive symptoms, even without the injury. So that's staggering to me that we now have kids who have concussive symptoms because they've been on screens and they're looking into that, which I found that just remarkable. So please try to engage not in screens, particularly for teens. I'll say it over and over and over again, find ways to socialize safely. I am a believer in science. I am a believer in rules. I follow the rules, but I also feel like we really need to make sure that all of their needs, including their developmental needs and their social needs are being addressed as well. And as to your point, that's not necessarily the case during the, the, the way in which we are being asked to lock down currently. So if, is there ways where our children can socialize safely? Um, and depending on the parent's comfort level, please allow for that and facilitate that. It's, it's so, so, so important. Uh, we'll often suggest to teens to get jobs. I know with the stores closed now, but that's kind of a sneaky way to get them out of the house and something that they're allowed to do. Um, if they can't go hang with their friends, well, just go get a job and at least you're doing something that's different. So we've been recommending that often. Again, I'm stealing that from one of my amazing team members. Those are some of just the basics. But I did want to try to add something new to the conversation. Um, which is knowing our happy triggers. So we do a really lovely job in psychology of working with clients and identifying the triggers to anxiety and to anger. Where we don't do a really great job is identifying happy triggers, um, having, having a really solid idea of what makes us feel good. You're about to laugh. What are you laughing at? <laughs> No, I'm listening. We should say we know, we've known each other for a long time. So I thought I saw like a face I'm that pre, was going to make me yeah, laugh. No, yeah. no, not yet. So, uh, so figuring out um, what those are and like writing them down and knowing what they are in the same way that we would with, say, cognitive behavioral therapy when we're identifying triggers to anxiety. We have kids write those down. What's the statement? How does that make you feel? How do you make that happen or not happen in, in your life? So do that for happy triggers and then make a plan, an actionable plan again, uh, to make that. I'm pointing at Tina. Tina's in the chat because uh, she makes uh, points about that in terms of activity and making sure that a plan for change or health is actionable. Mm -hmm. So, so I, so some ideas around that are thinking of behavioral uh, triggers that make your kid feel happy. So some examples might be uh, games, dancing, sport, I don't know, whatever. Synchronized swimming. Synchronized swimming, like your favorite. So, yeah, solo synchronized swimming. <laughs> um, so think of some of those activities and write them out and figure out when in the week are those things going to happen or when in the day are those things going to happen. Connection. So I spend a whole lot of time. I don't know if my husband's watching. He's probably not because uh, he has kids at home, but. He has three kids to manage. He has kids. It better not be three at three this kids. time. Two at this oh, time. Yeah, and yeah. I, um, so, uh, but connection, I get so much time with him because there's nowhere else to go and we're not allowed to talk to anybody else, but really rarely have the opportunity to actually connect and talk to each other and take time to properly connect and prioritize that. And so similarly with children, we need to make sure that we are connecting with our kids, even though we're connected to them all the time. So finding opportunities to do that, hugs, conversation, uh, validation, checking in, helping them organize, whatever they'll, they'll let you do, depending on the age, but also whatever works for them. And then a really cool, easy one that I liked is sensory. Like what are sensory triggers that, that cause happiness? So for example, songs. Right. So with lots of the teens that I work with, I'll have them create if they have, are having a hard time speaking to me about what they're feeling. I'll have them create a playlist for me, uh, whether it, it, they don't even have to describe the feeling. But sometimes it's really interesting to know when you're feeling sad. Do you listen to sad music so it can really like 
make you go there and it gives you that release of feeling sad that you might be needing. Or when you're feeling sad, do you listen to happy music because it can change your mood and move you out of it. So those are the kinds of things that we do here with kids and using sensory. Um, So creating a playlist or remembering songs like nostalgic songs or songs that remind you of happy and using your senses to take you there. A scent that is positive or familiar. Um, They had an example of clean sheets and I was like, oh yeah, that is a good one. Clean sheets. With yeah, with a good thread count yeah. as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. At least seven hundred. Yeah, yeah. So thinking of our or a favorite meal, something that we can do safely within lockdown, but we're we're getting a bit creative of what can make us happy. So those are just simple kind of silly examples of happy triggers. And so we can do that with our kids and we can do that with ourselves as well to make sure that we're triggering our happiness and not just stuck in the other stuff as well. I personally love a lot of this because they're achievable. What you're, mm-hmm. what you're saying, the routine part, mm-hmm. that was something that in our house was important at the mm-hmm. beginning of this, the, the first part of the pandemic, the sleep, the uh, off screen. So, so important. Happy triggers connections. Like one of the things as an example that, you know, killed a lot of birds with one stone metaphor. See, yeah, you don't know. Um, yeah, was uh, you know, with I think of with Teddy when he's um, when he comes off screen, we we go play basketball, me and him, you know, and it's something that we both love doing. Uh, it's a happy trigger. It's a time to connect. It's off screen, and we're outside getting fresh air. You know, combating that diabetes sugar diabetes. So like, you know, I think when you, when you put it that way, each and every one of us could put a bit of thought into the way we can create those moments that mo- those moments of being off screen, happy trigger connection. Yeah. Cause uh, it, by the sounds of it, it could go a long way. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm always hesitant and it's the same when we're working with youth who are, uh, and I'm sure with adults uh, as well, who are feeling depressed or overwhelmed or have no bandwidth. The last thing that they want to hear from a psychologist is, oh, add this to your list, create a schedule, build a routine, come up with a fun game. All of those kinds of things are like, I can't even barely make it through my day because I'm so exhausted. And I get that. I, I fully appreciate um, that it is difficult to implement these kinds of strategies when we're already, we have no bandwidth anyways. But my pitch is that these are strategies that could increase our bandwidth. So if we just kind of take that step, then we, we could potentially have some more space. So kind of have to do the hard stuff to create some, some more, I don't know, bandwidth to just make things a bit easier in the longer run. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So, but if, if you do, if you do these things, you will feel fresher. Mm-hmm. I call it hashtag freshness. Yeah. You'll be able to increase your bandwidth. You'll be able to yeah. feel that less of that drag. Um, okay. So I have two and two other slides. Let's hear it. Let's I hear just it. saw you ask for questions. So, uh, no, no, we, so, <laughs> So to echo what you said at the beginning, advocate, 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 advocate. So on two different levels, advocate on the individual level. So I do group supervision with my team. Uh, Every two weeks we come together and I'm working on staying calm uh, during supervision to lead by calm example. But it's really, really hard for me because the expectations Oh, it makes me so angry, Quadjo. But the expectations that are put on our kids and that they are, by the way, crushing, like really quickly. So I sit in grade three with my son and actually your son as well. I am, my mind is blown at what these kids are able to do. They are on a screen from 9.15 to 3.45 with a, you know, a series of breaks throughout the day. And they sit there muted. They try to focus. They take turns. There's like some, my family has been joking. There's like one little guy that will sometimes give us something and write poop in the chat or something to give us some kind of like relief from the day. But these kids are, are, they are, I am, I commend their ability 
to have adjusted to this crazy situation that they really should not. Yeah, exactly. That would have been you for sure. Um, that they really should not be able to achieve developmentally. And, and, and so the reason I, I get fired up about that is because sometimes then we have referrals where it's like, well, my kid's not listening or my kid can't focus for six hours. And um, the teacher is calling and saying, my kid is not participating in class or writing poop in the chat. And I get really angry about that because they, our kids are doing an unbelievable job at managing uh, these expectations. And we need to remember, and that's what I say to my team all the time, is we need to remember, we need to help families re- redefine their measure of success and, and make sure that those are developmentally appropriate. So advocate on behalf of your child and what they are doing well, because they are doing so well um, in impossible circumstances. And then I would also add to just advocate gently uh, to, you know, the teachers, um, members of the community, if, if we are feeling that um, needs are not being met or a child really is struggling, it is not the child's fault. It is, I'm going to rephrase that. It is not the child's problem to solve. If they're struggling with the online learning or the pandemic or behaviorally, emotionally, it's not their problem to solve. It is our job as the adults around them to figure out what system needs to be put in place to set them up for success. So advocate, 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 and remember what they have been able to achieve. I'm I'm virtually blown away by what these kids can do. So that's virtually, literally, virtually. That's another one. I don't know. Okay. So then also advocate at the community level, which Quadro, you've been doing um, since the beginning. I mean, you have been out there just everywhere um, advocating for the community, but also for our youth. And, And I'm so appreciative of that. So I would just encourage everyone to continue to advocate at the community level. Which brings me to um, to just mention this group of pediatricians, which I've referred to a couple of times. Their name is the Ottawa Community Pediatrician Network, OCPN, um, and they've come together, I believe, throughout the uh, pandemic. I, I, I might be wrong, but I, I think has formed over the last year or so, and it's a, a group of lovely pediatricians who come together to speak about um, what's happening. They are strongly advocating for camps to be open. I'm not sure they are advocating specifically for schools to be open. I I can't speak to that. I I don't know um, the answer to that. But I know that there is a petition that has just been released by the Canadian Pediatric Society called um, Kids Need School. And it was shared with me by one of, uh, by an Ottawa pediatrician. And so there, you know, that's a lovely group that has been advocating to the media at the community level to try to highlight some of these things that I've been speaking about tonight and what they're seeing in their clinics um, across the city and making sure that our children's global needs are are being addressed. So advocate, advocate, advocate is my my big message. So I do have the link, I can put it in here for people who want to sign the petition that has uh, been released by the Canadian Pediatric Society. I love it. Like advocate at all levels. Yeah. And stand up for these little people and these youth. My goodness gracious. They're doing so well. I'll just say this. Those that are on the fence. I mean, one of my guests, Monica Gandhi said, told me we'll be on the right side of history. I think advocating for our kids. And let me tell you that some of the stuff that people are recommending, there's scientific backing. It's safe. Like, when you look at the data for schools, I mean, we could, we've talked about this ad nauseum, you know, kids being less like, like schools being less likely a spot for outbreaks, limited uh, spread within schools. Then you look at outdoor activity, really, truly outdoor activity. The risk of contracting COVID that way is minuscule. You can never say zero, but it's as, as it's, it's low. For us to not be able to, our kids to, 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 to address some of these needs through an outdoor setting, especially during this time, is, is, is a pity. So, you know, I'm definitely trying to do my part on our platform to, to get, you know, support these kind of things. But my goodness, I, you know, like it just all ties together, Adrian. It all ties together. The kids not being at school, not being outside, 
or not being able to exercise at all, it affects their health, mental, physical, their overall well-being. So, you know, we're going to continue to try and uh, do our part. Yeah. I'm always curious because you are, you have like uh, presentations sometimes on top of your presentation. So I just want to make sure that there's <laughs> nothing I could, before I, I, I feel the question, just, yeah, just sure a that. wee bit of sarcasm there. I'm just seeing maybe maybe it's the connection. Yeah. But uh, yeah. that is my full presentation. I don't have another presentation. Oh, I would love to give another presentation. <laughs> but okay. I will stop talking. And yes, do I prepare? I do. Although this one, I yeah, this one, I, I did not feel the need to do as many. Um, I didn't read as many research articles as I may typically. But I did or reach out to my team to and my community. You- yeah, get somebody to send you the research article. Yeah, yeah, no, I. <laughs> That's a secret, Quadjo. <laughs> no, but it's bro- it is brilliant. I'll, I'll, I would job do the creation. same. Job creation. Yeah, job. <laughs> That's a good way of putting that. <laughs> research um, assistant. So, oh, there's a child. Oh, I I got a child here. Zeke, you gonna come say hi? Yeah, come say hi. Hey, this Zeke. is what we're doing it for, people. Check it. This is what we're doing it for. <laughs> say hi, Zeke. <laughs> say hi. Hi, Zeke. Hi. Hi. Hey, Marlo. Everybody's here. Everyone is here now. Don't punch me. Mama. Hi, hi. Catherine. She can't hear you because of my headphones. Say hi, Catherine. Hi. Hey, Marlo. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's good. That's good. That's my day. That's what I do all day. because of not being in school virtual virtual school has made that happen yeah i don't know why they're not in bed so yeah any i'm going to take a we're going to try and close up in the next five minutes but if there's any questions i'm just going to do a quick perusal because i was multitasking here uh just going to read some of the comments out loud advocacy for outdoor team sports yes it's like the great thing even hockey i was really nervous about to be honest with you and because of the measures that were in place, like limit the people in the, the change rooms and all the kind of uh, measures that they were able to actually re- minimize exposures in even indoor sports. So, I mean, that just made me even feel that outdoor sports would even be that much more safe. Well, no, no specific questions, but from Mike, um, Loads of gratitude for the discussion you're sharing. My kids are between the ages of 14 and 16, and anxiety is definitely on the forefront. The lack of interactions at such key years of social development are concerning. Hope they bounce back once the pandemic allows them to. Ideas for how to support increased interaction interactions, meaningful interactions, as opposed to text message mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. Guess, but, yeah, is that yeah, that's kind of a question. Yeah. How, how do we well and that's create more that's what moments we're of uh of uh connection in those in the heart of like like for teens right now. This is where it becomes really difficult for me as a psychologist because I don't uh have a full understanding of like the data that Quadjo is talking about um with regard to transmission the numbers in the community, are schools safe? So I, I trust um, what is told to me regarding those kinds of questions. So all of that long-winded way to say, I struggle in providing recommendations around what is safe for teens to be able to do. But I do uh, rely on, I always call quad, um, but I, you know, I rely on some comfort that the data seems very clear that being outside together is um, safe. So I, I, you know, within parents' comfort level, and of course, in, in the comfort level of the youth, I would say socialize outside. I like, I know that they've even canceled golf in Ontario. I think the only place in North America, I think of any activity, you know, an activity I was speaking actually with my in-laws about this last night that of a safe sport would be something like golf. But if there were opportunities for kind of some sport, some interaction that is that they're interested in and is developmentally appropriate and it's safe within COVID, then just do it encourage them to do that and allow for them to do that despite our own anxieties about what is safe and not safe. Yeah, no, that's great, Adrian. And technical difficulty was totally my fault. The 
kids ripped up. No, <laughs> kind of ripped up my uh, headphones, but it's beautiful. Um, but yeah, I that's amazing. I just I wish our government would. The problem is some of these interactions are not allowing essentially right now. So it's it's it really is a tough time, and I just hope that they recognize that some of the stuff that uh, there's a lot of activities that could be completely safe and have some faith in the people. They're a super anxious kid, 11 years old, um, trying to manage bedtime. So that's when all the concerns come, not to water the worry. So I so had read uh, an approach, we call it like watering the tomato seed. If you give it attention, it will grow and grow and grow and grow. I had a young man in my office, he's probably like 11, who described anxiety to me in a really cool way, which is basically like anxiety, the front of his brain was filled up with other stuff all day. So there was no room for anxiety. And then as soon as he laid down to bed, there was nothing else that was distracting him from his anxieties. So all everything came to the front, all the worries came to the front. And so some really tangible strategies around anxiety are, of course, um, managing screen time ahead of time, right? So I'd say at least an hour, if not more of no screen time before bed, because of that stimulation, just that you know, your body's just kind of buzzing a little bit more before bedtime, which is not helpful. Uh, we've had some really good success with audiobooks. So audiobooks, so not like Harry Potter or something really stimulating and exciting, but an audiobook. And the reason for that is you can lay in bed and it's dark. So melatonin can be produced. You can start to feel tired, but it's filling up the front of your brain so that the worries don't have that much space. You're kind of listening um, calmly to something. We've had some good um, success with doing that. We talk about worry time. So scheduling worry time. Um, so, I mean, watering the worry is, a is I get that. Um, I understand what, what that approach is meaning that we don't want to just feed, 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 feed worries. Like, well, that's never going to happen, but what if it does? And that's now leading me to this worry. And now I'm off on this worry. And then we just go crazy with it. So there is a point at which we have to use our moving along skills. Like, okay, we're done talking about this and we're now going to move on to bed. But having said that, we also need to find opportunities to, uh, I like that water, the worry. Um, and so we want to schedule that time. So worry jars. I'll suggest that often where kids write down their worries throughout the day and then put it in a jar and close that up. And then there are times scheduled throughout the day or week where we open them up and we, we look at those together. So there's lots of time to get the worries out and then fill the bedtime with a nice calming routine. As I say, something like an audiobook, guided meditation can be um, super, super helpful, a really nice environment at bedtime. Um, we talk a lot about bottom up strategies. So rather than like focusing on the thinking, so I'm worried about my test tomorrow is a thought. So we don't want to necessarily use cognitive strategies at bedtime because then they get stuck in their thinking, but instead bottom up, which means calm your body, which will calm your brain. So that's like deep breaths, um, guided imagery and meditation, as I say, um, like just really slowing their body down and supporting them with that rather than supporting them with the talking and the thinking. Um, so just, just a few ideas of some of the things that we're doing, but really a very difficult um, problem to resolve. It's not easy, but focus not on the thinking, focus on the body is, is kind of the bottom line. Honestly, that sounded brilliant. Not only for your kids, but anybody out there yeah. that's, uh, yeah. that's um, struggling with anxiety yeah yeah adrian age dr matheson thank you mm. as usual you delivered knowledge inspiration game you know what i'm saying changing the boogie it's what we do up in here but thank you <laughs> you've actually uh actually even for i must say selfishly even i i i, I took a lot away from this like not only like, yes, I learned about how crappy the, the having the schools closed and the virtual learning can be, but you also left with some really great tips on how we could be mitigating some of this stuff and just stuff that's realistic and attainable. Yeah. And so I, 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 I biggest really messages just advocate for these little people. They're doing so well. Like, I, I really, I hate to sound cliche on it. I, I truly am blown away 
at what they have been able to achieve. These kids, they are, I am so impressed um, with how our youth have, have managed these ridiculous um, circumstances. And so we just need to remember that as parents, because I think in terms of building resiliency, if we can just keep that in their minds of, oh my God, this is so hard. And you are amazing. Mm-hmm. Of course you didn't sign. Like, yeah, I was on supervision just before this. Like, of course they didn't turn in their homework. Eight. <laughs> <laughs> like what? No. Point. So just remembering, like keeping it in context of what they're doing and show them that and love them and care for them and hold them. Um, because that's if we do any if we do nothing else if we do that then i think that that could be really helpful in making sure we build that resiliency absolutely there's one just quick comment that i saw about karina just what we could do as doc yeah just all the questions about how can we advocate as mds and you know what i hate to say this but when you have that md title people listen people um when you when you do have a voice, when you do express your opinion, whether that's through print, whether it's social media, whether it's through a letter, like it, it does have that much more street cred. And as more and more of us speak up, more and more of us will get come together and, and that voice becomes louder. So, you know, I, sometimes I'm a big believer of just act. Don't dwell on things too much. If you feel like writing that op-ed piece, someone's going to pick it up. If you want to blog, tweet whatever so and that and Karina's asking that and so Karina was the one that I uh spoke with about what they're seeing in the the uh pediatric uh, like in the community um pediatric um clinics and what she's asking is how that network of pediatricians could potentially contribute to this conversation as a group which I think is really cool oh easy yo hold up straight yeah. up Karina the Let's talk offline, but I'll get I'll I'll get CBC or CTV to come talk to you, and to, and you could amplify exactly what uh-huh. you're seeing. You'll come on the quadcast. <laughs> She's saying, oh no, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, no, no. This is what I'm saying about the courage, man. This is what I'm saying. This is what I'm Karina about stepping up. This is a, you got to come out of your your comfort zone. You got, at the end of the day, you got to look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, are you doing all you can for these kids? And being shy or being uh, avoiding the limelight, yes. This is it's a hard thing to do, but it's necessary now. You know what I'm saying? Oh, this we can do it time. together, Karina. We'll do it together. You want fiery, Karina will lay it down. Yeah, she'll lay it down. No, you don't. I can't help you. You don't Karina, have to go. He knows you now. TV. I can't help you. You don't have to go in front of a TV. It could be on print. It could be just a, a quote to a paper. You could do an op-ed. And, you know and one, thing, one thing, one thing, there's power in the messaging. One thing I'm thinking is, as I mentioned, I was really lucky to be able to speak to that group when we talked about collaboration of how we in the mental health community can collaborate with pediatricians in the community. And so, Karina, I'm kind of talking to you now through this. Uh, maybe we can further that conversation as well as how to collaborate and um, start advocating around this. Then we can use Quadjo's platform. Karina, you, you and Adrian and I don't hang up after this. <laughs> We're going to have a quick bow wow. I'm serious. I'm a get it, I'm Sorry, a get it done kind of guy. Okay. No, no, no. We're changing the boogie right now. Thanks, everybody. You guys were awesome. Thank you for having me, Quadjo. It's always fun. Absolutely. Thank you so much.